Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Hey guys, it is Virginia Franco. Welcome to the Resume Storyteller podcast. Rather than have a guest with me today, I wanted to use this episode to talk about the issue of age discrimination um, because I know a lot of my listeners are people that are in their you know late mid to late forties, fifties, um, and maybe have one last big move in their career before they are done. Um, and they come to me because they feel like their resume makes them look old. Uh, I'm here to tell you that my clients are landing interviews when they are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and even beyond. Um, and a lot of that has to do with their with their uh, networking strategy um, and all of that. But how we write the documents is really important. And so I want to focus specifically on the resume and what we can do to make the person timeless. Uh, I've said this before on podcasts and in my articles. Nobody needs to know if we are 35 or 85. And there's a couple of ways to do that um, that we will talk through. Um, the first is you know making sure to refresh the format. And I will talk through the different areas where you can make an impact with that. Then I want to talk through sort of section by section on the resume, what you can do to make yourself appear as fresh and current as possible. And then in closing, I want to talk about the tone that is really important to take as someone who is 45 years old plus. Um, and I'm speaking from experience here. I'm 53. I have written for, and, and more importantly, I write for people in this age group and older all the time. So in terms of the formatting, what's really important to remember is that resumes aren't just read in print anymore. In fact, usually what happens is the first rounds of the resume get read on some sort of a screen. You know, and you don't know if that's a big laptop, a desktop monitor, or a mobile device. Um, but what we do know is that mobile reading is really growing. That doesn't mean that resumes don't get printed out. They do. Just usually it doesn't happen on those first reads. When someone um, has gotten passed around in two to three reads, then usually the printing will happen. Um, and why that's important to understand is that Documents that are designed for a screen read do not convey well to screens, and they do really, really poorly on mobile. Conversely, documents designed for, um, or sorry, luckily, everything designed for an online read prints out beautifully. So stuff for print doesn't do well on screen. Stuff for screens does well on print. Um, and that's because our eyes read very differently. Online, we have a really, really tough time sort of digesting really dense text, especially when we're in a rush. And let's face it, everyone's always in a rush when they're looking at our career documents. Um, I would say that not even our own mothers would take the time to read a resume bullet by bullet. Um, 
so dense text, what it looks like is anything that, you know, big five line paragraphs or a bunch of bullets all crammed together or too many bullets, you know, eight bullets. When someone is in a rush and someone sees that, especially on the screen, it makes their eyes sort of bug out and think that that's too hard to read. I don't have time. And what happens is if someone's in a rush and something is hard to read, you run the risk that they're going to skip it. And so what that means for me is that I make sure to keep my paragraphs and my bullets to two to three lines. But then I always make sure to add a little bit of white space. You know, I aim for about 0.5 points on Microsoft Word in between each and every bullet and paragraph. Um, I found that that is the ideal setting for mobile reading. Um, You could go a little bit smaller if you're just talking about desktop reading. But because of mobile, I err on the side of caution and go for that 0.5 points. The other thing that we do that's a little wonky is that we don't read necessarily very smoothly online. Um, in print, you know, we're trained to read as children would by looking at books, right? And you open a book and your eye goes to the top left corner of the screen. And then you go from beginning of the sentence all the way to the end, top to bottom of the page. On screens, we're a little jumpy, right? We start with... Um, at the beginning of the page, they're the beginning of the sentence because that's what we're used to. But because we're all a little, you know, ADD, we jump all over the place depending on what interests us at the moment. So what that means for me when I'm writing is that I put whatever, I front load my paragraphs and my bullets, which means I put the most powerful part of whatever I'm trying to say at the beginning of the sentence because I don't know if the person's ever going to get to the end. So Here's an example. Let's say you're a sales manager and you came up with a territory strategy and you grew your revenues 30% in two years. The way you could write it for print that would make your English teacher very happy is to say, developed a territory strategy that grew my revenues 30% in two years. But what happens if that person's looking at it on mobile and they start with the sentence and then they get excited by, I don't know, something else on their screen or a notification that distracts them? They might not get to the end. So what I do to sort of address that and try to overcome it is flip it. I front load the bullet. So I would say in this case, grew revenues 30% in two years by leading a territory strategy. So those just those two little things, you know, front loading the bullets and uh, keeping your paragraphs to two to three lines with white space, just make all the difference with a mobile device. Um, and when in doubt, look at your documents in PDF format on a screen and look at it on your phone. If it's not easy just to get the salient points by scrolling with your thumb, I urge you to go back to the drawing board. The other things that you should do to, or the other thing that you should do to appeal to an online reader is to be very strategic with the font that you choose. Sans serif fonts are easier to read on screens and they can be read very easily in print. So a sans serif font, for those of you that never had to take topography as a part of a journalism class, those are the fonts without the little curly Q tails on the end of, uh, 
the letters. So the more like old, really old and like colonial kind of era fonts you've seen them where there's they're really elaborate and they've got the T has this little curly stuff at the end. Um, they're really pretty. Um, you see them calligraphy uses serif uh, in its uh, in its writing, but that doesn't convey well to screens. So sans serif fonts are much cleaner, easier to read. Um, examples of sans serif font that are standard in Word are like Arial, Calibri, um, Century Gothic. So we'll aim for those. There's something else I was going to say about fonts, and now I can't remember what it is. So if it comes to me, I will talk about it. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. All of that, all of those uh, writing techniques that I discussed for reading on screens of all sizes can really be incorporated beyond the resume. Um, using sans serif font, keeping your bullets and paragraphs short and sweet, and having white space in between each and every paragraph or bullet, you should use those. Or, those techniques, whether you are doing a slide deck on PowerPoint or if you are writing an email, and it you'd be really amazed at how much easier it is to get your point across. Okay, that is the that is my those are my two cents on formatting in terms of what you can do to sort of refresh it. Now let's sort of take it section by section. Let's starting at the top. So the context section, it sounds silly, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was standard to include the whole address at the top. That dates you. There's no reason that the reader needs to see your full address on the resume anymore. You might need to put it in the application, but that the application goes to HR where the, um, the resume usually goes to the recruiter or the hiring manager. So it's sort of two different buckets. So you don't need your city. You don't need your full address on there. Stick with city, state, and zip code. Um, and that's plenty. That's all the reader needs to know. The other thing that I always recommend that you include in your contact information is your LinkedIn URL. Um, not only... Does that show that you're current with technology? It just gives the reader a chance to click on it and get sort of social proof that you are who you say you are and can do what you say you could do. Then lastly, um, and I see this, um, I see this on a lot of older resumes where the person will write the word email and then list their email and then telephone or they'll write cellular or mobile and then they'll list their telephone number. You don't need to include any descriptors. Everyone knows when they see johndoe at gmail.com, that's your email. And when they see an area code followed by a bunch of numbers, they know that that is the telephone um, number. So no need to include all of that. With a LinkedIn URL, I actually recommend that you customize it and shorten it. Um, And you could do that by going on LinkedIn and going into your uh, settings and I actually have a video on how to do that on my YouTube channel, Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco YouTube channel. But basically, when you sign up for LinkedIn, it gives you uh, it, what it does is it has it'll, it'll say HTTPS, you know, point backslash backslash LinkedIn.com. And then it'll have your first and last name, like Virginia Franco, and then another backslash. And then it lists a bunch of numbers and letters. There's a way to truncate the numbers and letters and add something else on there. So you can do your first and your last name. Um, 
or you could do, if, if your name is common, you could do first name, middle initial, last name, or you could even do something to sort of strengthen your personal brand. Um, mine says Virginia Franco resume writer on it. So easy to do, put that on your LinkedIn and um, as part of your contact information. And that will really do a lot in terms of giving the impression that you're super current. Next on the list, I want to talk through this summary section. Um, some people call it the branding paragraph, but basically that is the paragraph that goes below the contact information. Um, until around, well, we're in 2021, I would say like 16, 2016, 2017, paragraphs, you, what you could do that worked great, I did it all the time, is you use that paragraph to describe yourselves with really powerful adjectives. So you could say a strong track record of his results, lead projects that uh, are, you know, with impeccable timing. I'm struggling to come up with adjectives right now because it's Friday afternoon, but you get the idea. What has happened is that those adjectives were got so overused that every, you know, everyone used it to describe themselves um, in large part because they were accurate. But as a result, they sort of got diluted and they lost their, their punch. So what I do today to write that paragraph is I replace the adjectives with little bits of information that are unique to someone's career. So um, instead of saying strong track record of results, I might say lead strategies that grew revenues at Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and blah, blah, blah. Um, or, you know, in... There's lots of different ways to do examples, but basically what you're doing is you are inserting a little bit of information about your career. And that way, when the reader looks at it, not only do they see how your, that paragraph also, you know, immediately shows them that you seem like you're a really good fit for the role that you're targeting, but because there's a little bit of information in there about you, it's going to resonate. Um, and it differentiates you from sort of everyone else that's still using the same old adjectives to describe themselves. That unfortunately now have made them forget have made them forgettable. The other thing I would say about the summary is I've gotten away from the old style five line paragraph, um, and that's because I don't like to use paragraphs that are more than three lines um, because I know that they're tough to read on screen and certainly on mobile. So instead, what I'll do is I might list two lines and then I'll break up the information that I might have had otherwise um, in the remaining three by using a couple of sub bullets. Um, and so that sort of breaks up the summary, makes it easy to read, but also still makes sure that those really powerful points are still in there. Okay, now let's go down to education. Unless you are right out of school, Nobody cares when you went to college. Um, again, you might need to put it on your application, but it does not need to go on your resume. Um, also, all that stuff about graduating with honors or you know cum laude or whatever, any of that um, stuff I do include when you graduated. You know that pertains to your education, even twenty years after the fact. Um, you know, number one things that might be related to the job target. So if someone was um, started an entrepreneurial club and they want to work at a startup, I might reference that really briefly in the education. Um, or let's say the person was a collegiate athlete. Um, not only is that really cool, 
it says a lot about the person because being a student athlete is a lot of work. It takes a great deal of discipline. Um, and so I will include that on there. And I also know that that will also serve as a conversation uh, icebreaker. So I do include that stuff. All right now let's talk about your experience. Because this is where the, this is the bulk of the resume, right? Um, the best way to be timeless, so no one knows if you're 35 or 85, is to focus on the last 15 years of your experience. So it's 2021. That means I'll go to 2006, maybe even 2005, because we're in the earliest part of 2020, 2021, sorry. Um, but what about the earlier stuff? You know, when you're 50, 60 years old, there's probably a lot of good stuff that you're really proud of. And you hate to leave it off. Um, and sometimes that earlier stuff is really relevant to what you want to do today. So I've got a couple of other podcasts where I reference this, but I'm going to reference it again. And there's also some articles about it if you want to go through my blog. And I have spoken on it on a couple of YouTube videos. So check that out as well. But Go through your earlier experience and think through which roles relate to your target. So, I don't know, let's say you are targeting a role as a software, head of software engineering. The fact that you worked in retail as a sales associate might not be relevant. But if you are looking at a job as a customer success leader and you worked in retail, then, you know, retail is all about putting the customer's first. So you might want to reference that role. So think about your job target when you're picking and choosing what to include. What I do with the earlier experience section is I will synopsize it. I'll give very high level detail at best. And sometimes I'll just list the roles and the companies that you worked with. Um, and I can walk through when I choose to do that. Um, but the key thing I do is I remove dates from it. Um, and what that does is it the reader doesn't need to know if you spent 20 years in those earlier roles or two years in those earlier roles. That helps, again, to make you make it indistinguishable if you are 35 or 85. Um, but it also eliminates the rabbit hole phenomenon, which I've talked about before. But basically what happens with the rabbit hole phenomenon is that we all, with the best of intentions, we're looking through a resume and we see stuff that happened in 2002. And we go, oh, you know, I wonder and that person went to college. I wonder if they have kids. All this sort of side nonsense goes into our brains and distracts us. And when you just have, you know, seven, eight seconds to make an impression, I don't want two seconds spent with a reader in the rabbit hole. Um, so that synopsizing the earlier experience under an earlier or an additional experience section and removing the dates sort of accomplishes that. Um, couple of examples of what earlier information I will put in there, um, what I'm trying to do include. So let's say my client wants to show leadership. And for the last 15 years, they have um, maybe more led through influence, um, dotted line kind of leadership. Um, but they really want to target a, you know, a true leadership role. Um, but the last time they did that was when they were in the military, you know, and they made, they were in the military for 10 years and then they retired. So I will definitely reference, you know, that they served in whatever armed forces they did. 
Um, and then what I'll do is I mention that U.S. military leadership in the summary paragraph at the very top. Um, another example, and I just had a client that we talked did this. She had um, taken in the last fifteen years, so the last four or five years of of this past fifteen, she had worked for a company that wasn't super well known in HR. And then before that, she'd stayed home with her kids and ran a family business. Um, but the the pre two thousand and six stuff. She had worked with some really big companies in HR world. She worked at, um, I think it was like GE and Citibank. I forget what the other one was, but really well-known companies. So I didn't go into a lot of detail in terms of, I really didn't go into any detail in terms of what she did at those companies, but I wrote a sentence that said something like sharpened HR business partnership skills, supporting executive leaders at... And then I listed Citibank, uh, GE, whatever the third one was. Um, and I listed the titles. And then at the summary section at the top, when I was weaving in those little bits of information um, unique to your career, her career, I listed the no-name company or the little-known name company that she worked with you know, currently. But then I also name-dropped those other three from pre-2006. Um, so that was a really powerful use of an earlier experience section. Um, another example that I that I like, you know, that shows sort of the power of her earlier experience section is um, when I want to show industry diversity. So let's say from the 2006 to current, the person has been in banking um, and they're sick to death of banking and they want to move into, I don't know, healthcare or something else. Um, but pre-2006, they worked uh, in, I don't know, a financial services company, let's say a healthcare company, um, something else. Listing those company names um, shows that the person has worked in different industries. And then at the top, you can reference that you worked in banking, financial services, um, healthcare, and I don't know, CPG, whatever it is. Um, so... Be very strategic about the earlier experience section. And when there's something really good there, reference it at the top. Um, the other thing you can do is if you do have room and you want to add maybe a little sentence about each of those earlier roles, think very high level about maybe what skills you learned that you use today or just a super high level achievement. You really don't want more than one or two lines for that earlier experience. It's, it's meant to be a very truncated section. Okay, so we have talked about section by section. We have talked about uh, fresh formatting to appeal uh, for print and screens of all sizes. Lastly, I want to talk about the tone of the resume. In particular, I want to talk about the uh, the biases that people have towards Gen Xers like me um, and younger baby boomers as well. Right or wrong, every generation has its, you know, quote unquote reputation. The reputation of this of the Gen Xers and baby boomers is that we think that we are the smartest people in the room, that we are not comfortable with technology, 
and that we do not have any interest in learning new tricks. Um, those of you who are listening that fall into those two generational uh, groups know that, yeah, sure, there's some people that are like that, but nothing could be farther from the truth in generality, which is why I hate generalizations about generations. Um, but it is what it is. Rather than wasting your time sort of shaking your fists at it, let's control the narrative and control what you can control. So um, how to overcome that you are the smartest person in the room. To me, the best way to do that is to talk a lot about we versus I. Um, In other words, you're showing that you work as a team, that you collaborated, um, that you partnered. So using language like that shows that you are willing to take into account the knowledge and wisdom and best practices from other people. So instead of saying, I let, you know, led, led strategy did the, that did this, you could say led strategy um, or collaborated with these groups to create strategy that did X, Y, and Z. When you are trying to overcome the misnomer that you're not comfortable with technology, um, it sounds silly, but having that LinkedIn URL right at the top in the contact information, that can go a long way. Um, Don't put that you know MS Office because everyone expects that you can. Sort of listing that can date you. Unless, sorry, of course, there's always an unless, unless the job posting calls job postings call for it. If three of the five postings say they want you to have MS Office, put it on there. But otherwise, take it off. No one cares. Um, if Especially now with COVID, um, if you do have a technology section, this is where you can put that you have, um, that you're familiar with all of these, you know, virtual collaboration tools like Slack and WhatsApp and Zoom and MS Teams and you know, all the ones that we have been using since... The pandemic hit. Um, the last misnomer is a little bit trickier. Um, haha, because it has the word tricks in it. Um, and that's, you know, the one that says that we are not interested in learning any new tricks. The best way to overcome that is to speak sort of over and over again about what skills you sharpened or honed or cultivated. Um, if you publish articles or if you speak at conferences, um, if you use a new technology to do something, um, that shows sort of over and over again that you are a lifelong learner um, and can go a long way towards dispelling those um, inappropriate myths or I guess generalizations, not myths. So I hope that helps. I hope you walked away with some uh, tangible ideas that you could take action on around refreshing your format, sort of section by section, making yourself as current as possible and doing what you can to tweak the tone of the document. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.